This morning, as we gather here in this beautiful place, in this beautiful room, I don't know about you, but every time I walk in the first time each year to this space, it just takes my breath away. And so as you just come here this morning, I want you to just take a moment to just take it all in. You might close your eyes, take a few deep breaths. It may be that you just want to stare into this beautiful stained glass. But I invite you to pray. God, help me release my imagination, and help us hear you speak to us together today. We open our hands to you. We open our ears to you. Come, Holy Spirit. The most important part of the story of God is that God loves so many things and that God loves me. That when I am lost, God will come looking for me. That when I am sick, God wants to heal me. And when I make mistakes, God will always have grace on me. There is nothing, nothing, that can separate me from the love of God. God invites us to live a life of love. Love looks like being patient and kind and not making a list of people's mistakes. Love looks like inviting people who may be left out. Love looks like taking care of people when they need help. We love others with the love that God pours into us. And people will know that we are followers of Jesus because of our love for each other. I don't know about where you have been the last two days, but we have been at Disneyland. And we have been going to the place where dreams come true and there are always happy endings and everyone's excited except for maybe the dad who had to yell at the kid or the screaming child that was screaming bloody murder at 11 o'clock as we were walking out of the park last night. Or the lady who can't get bubbles out of her face. Yes. That lady. I don't know if you have been recently, but they have these things called bubble wands. And little kids love them. And I'm not very tall. And as the kid sits in its stroller and the mom pushes him down the way, the bubbles rise up in my face. Get them out of the way. And I don't look very happy or act very happy when all the bubbles are everywhere. But at that place, Disneyland, it's a place where dreams come true, right? That's their Logan. That's their slogan. Their, I didn't say that. Slogo. Their, lo- their slogan. <laughs> Thank you. Their slogan. I was like, that's not coming out right at all. But it's the place where heroes defeat the villain and the prince gets the princess and the knight in shining armor slays the dragon. And it's wonderful and it's fun and it's exciting. And it's great, right? And we want to live our lives that way pretty much every day, right? But COVID has taught us that life is not always full of happy endings. It's not always magical. 
it's not always heroic, and people often are not fought for, and they're not even valued. Mm. We don't always get to have that happy ending that we're striving for. Over the last two years, we've seen the ugliness of humanity. And unfortunately, at least in our experience, our churches have been ground zero for some of that messiness, for some of the frustration, for some of the conflict, for some of the anger, for some of the judgment. Yet, what I've realized over the last few years is this messiness that we have seen during COVID did not originate during COVID. It was simply revealed or unearthed. It was uncovered. It was always there to begin with. At our church, which is North Davis Church of Christ in Arlington, Texas, we have this phrase or this acronym, EGRs. Our leadership had this way before my days, but uh, it's, it's extra grace required. And sometimes when there's individuals who we're dealing with, who we're trying to love, who we're trying to journey with, we as a leadership say they're an EGR. They're an extra grace required type of person. And during the pandemic, what I realized is we are all, to some degree, in some way, EGRs. The problem is that grace and forgiveness don't often come naturally for us, do they? We often have to dig deep. We often have to go to the bottom of our souls to try to find that grace and that forgiveness to be able to extend to somebody. It's much easier to accuse. It's much easier to point fingers. It's much easier to judge or stereotype. It's much easier to put the spotlight on someone else so that we don't have to see our frustration and our anger be unearthed. Today we want to look at, for just a few moments, a story in John chapter 8. It's one of, it happens to be one of my favorite stories. It's a story I often preach from, but it reminds me, and hopefully it remind us, of many of the struggles that we have been through over the last two years, of how do we respond to the messiness in the world? How does the church respond? More importantly, how do I respond? If you'll turn with me to John 8, we're going to read verses 2 through 11. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. What do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a bias for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground in his, with his finger. When they kept questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground, at this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left. With the woman still standing there, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, and neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, Now go and leave your life of sin. Whoa, what a story, right? What a twist. What a different ending than what we weren't expecting, than what we thought was going to happen. And every single one of us in our churches, I believe, is represented in some way in this story. All of us get to be a character. The woman, the woman represents those people who struggle, whatever their sin is, whatever their challenge is, and it's aired before the whole world to see. 
if they wanted it to or not, ready or not, here it comes, and everyone sees that dirty laundry is aired out. Pharisees, they're there too in our churches. Those are the ones who are knowingly or unknowingly put on their judgmental faces and glances and, and observe what's happening and are ready to cast those stones, ready to sit in that seat of judgment. How about all the people that are just watching the surrounding crowds? I think those people are in our churches too. But those people, they're not really sure how to react or what to do. They just kind of take it all in and watch and say nothing in silence. And then, because maybe they don't, just don't even really know what to say, and then, then we have Jesus, and we all know who Jesus is. And he's the one that is, is the hero. He reacts with grace and love and validation. So in each of our churches, we have each one of these people represented. And so in our church, the adulterous woman would be this guy named Jack. Jack is a convicted felon. He has the mouth of a sailor. He's been married multiple times with multiple divorces. And even as, early, even as recent as this Sunday, I have very heated conversations often with Jack. And it was quite colorful, I it was quite colorful. Um, but he, even in our conversation on Sunday, there came a point where I was so frustrated with him, and then tears started streaming down his face. And I realized that this is just a man just like me who's in need of grace just like me. Also in our churches, we have people like the Pharisees, as Kira said. In our church, her name is Jill, so we have Jack and Jill. Jill is wealthy, opinionated. She has a particular political stance that she loves to make known on social media. She stereotypes a lot. But what I've realized in dealing with Jill over the years is she's a sinner just like me. She needs grace just like me. And in our churches, as Kira already articulated, we also have those bystanders. You know those people, those people who want to watch from afar, who definitely have opinions, but they don't always want to share them for fear of being revealed or for fear of having to take a side or for fear of having to get in the middle of the mess. But where in our churches are people who act like Jesus? So this story is really a beautiful story in John 8. And in this story, Jesus, he's in the center stage. He is the person that all eyes are on him. Everybody can listen and hear a pin drop. Everybody is focused on what Jesus is going to do next. And he says, let any one of you who is without sin cast the first stone. And what happened? They went away one at a time, the oldest first, right? So how do we in a church learn to drop our stones? And how do we learn to not walk away from the woman or the man or the family or whoever it may be? Instead, how do we learn how to deal with that? John tells us that the law, the older in the law, the older ones left first. And they walked away because they understood something really important, right? They understood that they were guilty too that they were without sin. Did you know in the Mosaic Law that actually it was not just um, understood that we should convict and you should hold each other accountable, but if you knew that someone else 
was doing something that they shouldn't do, and you didn't do anything to encourage them to stop the sinful act, that you were also able to be condemned and stoned. So every single Pharisee there who set the trap, because if you think about it, this woman was caught in the act of adultery in the middle of the day, readily available. They knew what was happening. They probably had that set up for the act to happen so they could snatch her. And where was the man? All of the people there should have been able to be put to death by stoning because they all knew the sin that was happening and didn't do anything to stop it. And so many times aren't we in that same boat? Aren't we that church that knows the sin that's happening and we're not doing anything to stop it? We retreat to our Christian bubble. We wring our hands in our beautiful buildings. Why don't we stay and help the woman? Why aren't we willing to get our hands dirty? Why don't we know how to be agents of grace like Jesus? One of the bystanders there during that particular occurrence was probably the Apostle Peter. He probably saw it all, right? Just as he saw a lot of other things that Jesus said and did. And so in his letters that he writes later to Christians scattered around modern-day Turkey, he reminds them as Jesus followers, we are to be living, breathing examples. What, who Jesus was and what he stood for. To act in the same ways, to respond to people, to the messiness in the wor- this world in the same way that we should be living, breathing, walking, talking examples. The, the thing I love about reading the Gospels is noticing how often when things happen, I respond in a way that's accusatory or judging, and yet Jesus never did. He offered something different, something better, something more fulfilling and more transformative. That's grace, mercy, forgiveness. He called people to something greater, and he instilled in them self-worth. He said, you know, this is the way the world acts, but what I'm telling you is there's a, there's a better way. There's a way that it was intended to be, and I need you to act in such ways. And so one of the questions that the four of us ask a lot in Arlington, Texas, is how do we lead our church to put down their rocks? How do we lead the people that we worship with every Sunday to extend first grace and mercy, to lead with love? What I've realized is it starts with the person right in front of me. Sunday, it was Jack. And I'll be honest, there was some moments in that conversation that I really wanted to hit him in the face in Christian love. (laughs) But thankfully, thankfully, the Holy Spirit was working on me even just two days ago, three days ago, and telling me that this person, this man standing in front of me is a creation of God. And yeah, he he has his warts just like me. And he needs forgiveness just like me. But Jesus loves him just like me. And so it starts by taking Jack to lunch or having a conversation with Jill and just listening. Allowing curiosity to take over and just wanting to get to know them better so that then you have that bond. That, it starts with the person right in front of us. We have to cling to the words found in Lamentations. Chapter 3, 22 and 23 and 24. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. 
because of the, great, of the Lord's great love, we're not consumed. We don't have to be overcome with our fears, our anxieties, our anger, our bitterness, our frustration with the way things are. And why, why did the people leave and where are they, are they coming back? Are they going to ever change? We don't have to let all of that overtake us. Instead, we can remember the church was meant to be a refuge, a light, a harbor for all of those people and you and I who are hurting. They're just trying to figure out life and how do we do this? I don't want to pretend that I have all the answers and I don't want our churches to pretend that either. I just want to be able to point everyone back to Jesus and to share those stories in the word of how Jesus was this amazing agent of grace and truth and how he doesn't ask us to be the judger. Instead, he asked us to point people to him and let him be the one who changes hearts. Can we learn how to put down our rocks and attend to that hurting person in front of us? May we learn how to lead with grace so that we can show the world a God that is graceful and is loving and is just and allow him those beautiful moments to unfold before our eyes just like it did in John 8, the way God intended it to be. Let's pray together. Father, may you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to the movement of the Spirit, not only within us but around us. May we see people in front of us just as you see them, despite their messiness, despite their warts, despite their past bad mistakes or decisions. May we see them as you see them, just as you see us. There really is no other grace like yours. And may we, may we be willing to accept it, and may we be willing to pass it on. We pray these things in Jesus' name. As we continue to worship this morning, I hope that when you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and see yourself, um, I hear a lot of those people uh, in the room around the, uh, around the woman staring back at me every morning. And I hope that you will listen to what Jesus has to say about who you are right. rather than what yourself and other people might say about who you are. So I went on sabbatical this past summer, uh, being at uh, the church I've been at North Davis for seven years. And on that sabbatical, one Sunday, I went to an Episcopal church and was introduced to a practice that, at least for me, I had never been able to experience. And I want us to go through that practice. Summer's going to lead us in that practice. And it's the practice of confession. Uh, it's a little bit more liturgical in nature, but I want you to reflect on these words and have just a moment of confession. An invitation to confession. When we offer God our confession, we join the beautiful work of reconciliation which begins with our reconciling with God. Trusting in our partner in grace, let us make our confession first in silent prayer.
Now join me in this unison prayer of confession. Gracious and loving God, open our hearts so that we might be able to admit to you the fullness of our lives, that which is beautiful and good, and that which is hurtful and hateful. We confess that we do not follow Jesus in all that we do. We love with condition. We judge and condemn. We cast the first stone and keep the logs in our own eyes. We do not turn to you as the source of our healing. Forgive us, we pray. Forgive our sin and empower us to be imitators of Christ in love and in service. Amen. Friends, in Christ, know this. The mercy of God's everlasting love is from everlasting to everlasting. And I remind you of this surpassing grace. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Alleluia. Amen. Go in the grace of God. Thanks for being here. Amen.